Hey, good morning. Well, I hope you've got your Bible handy because we're going to dive back into the book of Acts. We left off last time in Acts looking at Peter explaining to the believers what had happened when he went uh, under the guidance of the Lord to go to a Gentile's house to share the gospel where the Holy Spirit fell upon these believers, these new, brand new believers. And this was unexpected. It was, it was, what is this all about? Well, Peter was, you know, of course, tentative about even going to a Gentile's house when he got this vision from the Lord, which ultimately resulted in the Lord's letting him know that what Peter was calling unclean, he had now cleansed. Speaking of the Gentiles, the door was now opening to the Gentiles. And so Peter goes, he goes to Cornelius's house, um, shares the gospel, and he and his household are saved. So he goes back to the believers and he begins to, ex- uh, to the Jewish believers, and he begins to explain what's going on. Well, this is a brand new kind of an event. Now, we had seen individual Jew- uh, Gentiles coming to faith, but now a transition was taking place, something that Paul would describe as a mystery unfolding where the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, that wall of animosity, was removed. And now God was making, out of the two different groups, Jew and Gentile, one entity known as the church. And so this is a, a, a huge dynamic change in, in, uh, in the scope of the gospel. Uh, and we see that as we move into the next passage, starting in verse 19. So read with me. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Okay? Now again, the Jewish, the, the new Jewish believers in Christ, the Messianic Jews, um, were, were not aware of this idea of the gospel going to the Gentiles and that. This, you know, Peter was in Jerusalem talking about what had happened, but these believers here now ultimately are those that have been scattered after the persecution under Saul began back in Acts chapter 8. And so um, when you see this take place in Acts chapter 8, where Saul begins to persecute, violently persecute the believers, dragging them out of their homes and getting papers to go to Damascus and drag people out of their homes there who are claiming the name of Christ. Well, this persecution that takes place, on the one hand, seems like this terrible thing. All of a sudden now for believing in Jesus, there's this, this persecution coming down. But it's that persecution that ultimately... Uh, my old pastor used to describe it like this. Imagine like kind of a fire sort of dying out in a, in a, you know, in a fire pit and someone stomps on it. And all of a sudden all these embers start kind of going all over the place and starting all these little fires all over the place. It's kind of like that. Uh, very much like that, actually. And so what's happening now is that the gospel is going forth. Even as Jesus told them to share it in Jerusalem and then Judea, Samaria, ultimately the ends of the earth. And so this is now happening. So they are sharing their faith, but only with Jews. In other words, they're sharing the good news that Jesus, like, like Paul was likely uh, making the case, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the fulfillment of the promise made to Israel in that. So they were only sharing it with Jews at that point. These believers were. Now Paul, as we recognize uh, from his calling directly from the Lord in, uh, in Acts chapter 9, where the Lord meets with Ananias and tells him that Saul's coming and Saul is going to be a vessel used by the Lord to reach not only his countrymen, the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And Paul becomes known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And so the gospel is starting to make way outside of just the walls 
of the Jewish nation. And so on verse 20, it says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Uh, This typically has been used to refer to Greek-speaking Jews and Jews that were sort of influenced by Greek culture. Uh, There are many commentators, though, that think what uh, Luke is saying here, and when he refers to the Hellenists, is those are Greeks. Uh, The word there is Hellenist in the Greek, and so it may very well be that it's still Greek-speaking Jews. But there's some question about whether or not Luke is actually intending to say here that there are those outside of the Jewish race, uh, Greeks, in fact, that are now being spoken to, uh, preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he, uh, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And so there are these believers whose names we don't know that are coming from kind of all over the place in that area there around Phoenicia. If you look at a Bible map, if you open to the back of your Bible, uh, to to one of the maps that basically begins to describe, um, you know, sort of the, the world in the time of Paul's missionary journeys and that. Now, this is just prior to Paul's missionary journeys. But when you see the maps that begin to express what that part of the world looked like, you'll notice... Um, uh, on the east side of the Mediterranean, you'll see <clears throat> Israel and particularly Jerusalem. Well, if you move just north of that, you move into a region called Phoenicia, where places like uh, Capernaum are, are, I think uh, Capernaum might be just south of that, actually. But uh, Phoenicia is this area along the Mediterranean coast between Israel and Syria. And so, uh, matter of fact, when they end up in Antioch, it is Antioch uh, in Syria, it's Syrian Antioch. I say that because there is a second Antioch known as Antioch Pisidia, or Pisidian Antioch, and that is north yet, still uh, much farther north. The Antioch in view here is the Antioch in Syria. And so when you look at your Bible map, you get a little idea of where this is all taking place here. Um, So as these believers are sharing their faith with either the Greek-speaking Jews or just flat-out Greeks, we see that there is uh, salvation has come to these people. And so there's a move of the Holy Spirit here where people are being wonderfully born again. And so the, the, the believers in Jerusalem send Barnabas uh, to go check out what's going on. Now, we're introduced to Barnabas back in Acts chapter 4. Matter of fact, just to kind of refresh, why don't we turn there in Acts chapter 4, and in particular verses 36 and 37, where we, we come encounter with him. Uh, thus, Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What a great name that is. That's a baby name that should make a resurgence. Old Barney, which means son of encouragement. And he's a Levite, a native of Cyprus. And so he's from the part of the world that we're talking about uh, here in Acts chapter 11. As a matter of fact, uh, when it says he's from Cyprus, that means he's from this island that is just off the coast uh, of of Syria and 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 uh, uh, Phoenicia, just west out in the Mediterranean, uh, uh, you you could see it from the shore and and uh, but just that's where Barnabas is from, uh, and he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so we see Barnabas from that passage as someone who is known as a son of encouragement. His name was Joseph, but his kind of nickname and his name that stuck was Barnabas. 
He's also a man filled with the Holy Spirit, as it says back here in chapter 11. Uh, He was uh, full of the Holy Spirit and faith uh, and such. And so Barnabas is somebody who is uh, not only uh, just this wonderfully spirit-filled man, but he ends up being used by the Lord as a partner with Paul. And we'll see that in just a moment. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, some presume that previously, uh, uh, when Saul was kind of sent to Tarsus by the apostles when when a persecution of him started to happen, not from him, but upon him started to happen, they sent him to Tarsus. Some presume that Barnabas may have been in that number uh, that, that urged Paul to go down to Tarsus. So Paul goes back to Tarsus where he's from. And, uh, and, and no doubt he begins to share his faith in his hometown. Well, Barnabas, if he was one of those in that number that sent uh, Saul to Tarsus, may, uh, this, this may be indicating that, that since he knows where Saul is, this is why we think maybe he was part of the group that told him to go back to Tarsus. But we don't know that for sure. But in any case, it's a reasonable possibility. So he goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, we find later, uh, or gosh, do we already study that? We, we see in the book of Acts where, where Barnabas actually becomes the one responsible. Now, we did read that previously, where uh, he brings Saul to the apostles who are at first afraid of him because they've heard about him too. But Barnabas kind of bridges the gap between the two of them, and he is ultimately received among their number. And so now Barnabas and Saul are doing ministry together in Antioch, uh, again, Antioch in Syria. And for about a year, they're teaching the believers there. They're helping to establish the church there. And we see this wonderful partnership start to form between the two of them that will ultimately continue until, sadly, in Acts uh, chapter 15, Uh, about verse 36, where um, they split over whether or not to take Barnabas's nephew, John Mark, or cousin, his relative, John Mark, on their missionary journeys with him. Because on a previous journey, John Mark had taken off. He'd kind of bailed on them. And so when it came time for the next missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take him with. Saul said no. Paul said no at that point. I was starting to call him Paul at that point. And so he says no. Barnabas is all about the relationship and building this kid up and helping him to get back on the team. Paul's all business. Who knows who is right, who is wrong? We do know that they split and and twice as much ministry began to take place, if you will. But this is a relationship that we see begin to be forged even right here. And at the end of that verse, we see that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It was here that disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, were first now known as Christians, uh, which means followers of Christ, or as uh, I think it was Josephus uh, described this term as sort of uh, uh, connoting the idea of little Christ or Christ people, uh, people who are called by his name. And so they now have a name. We're called Christians today, and that goes all the way back to there in Antioch. Now, in these days, in verse 27, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And, by the way, when you look at a map, uh, when I was kind of looking at this, it it always strikes me when you see, uh, when people come down from Jerusalem. If you look at your map, typically when you think of direction and you say someone comes down, like I moved to Tennessee down from Illinois, 
right? Well, we look at a map and Illinois is up, Tennessee's down. Uh, when you look at your map on, uh, like, like I was mentioning earlier, your Bible map of that part of the world, you see that Jerusalem is down and Antioch's up. Except that Jerusalem is on a pretty large hill, which means anytime you leave Jerusalem to go somewhere, you're going down. And so he's just, Luke is just simply speaking of a geographical terrain issue here. Literally, all if you go to Jerusalem, you always go up to Jerusalem. And if you leave Jerusalem, you always go down from Jerusalem. And so that's what's in view here, in case you're looking at your map and you're thinking, well, is the geography messed up? No, not really. It's just that geographically speaking, Jerusalem sits up on a hill, and ultimately, when you leave it, you go down. So uh, they came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus, who we'll see again in Acts chapter 21, and we'll talk more about him when we get there, except to point out here that he stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world, and this took place in the days of Claudius. And so the disciples determined every one according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So um, the, the church at this point now is starting to grow, and even though pockets of believers are starting to form all over the place, they are also, in a very real sense, bound together. They are family, even though separated by some miles. And so when there is word of suffering believers in Judea, the other believers take up a collection and they get things together and they bring it there so that they can help their brothers. There's a genuine sense of connectedness between believers in different geographical areas. I'm always fond of pointing out that even in our day, we should adopt this mindset and recognize, and probably most of you do, I don't mean to imply that you're not, but it definitely is an important thing for us to consider if we don't think of it very much. You and I have brothers and sisters all over the world. As a matter of fact, wherever you are in the world, we're brother and sister in that kind of a thing, in, that, uh, in this wonderful relationship in the body of Christ that we've been invited to join. And so that's why there is, uh, that's why we support, uh, you know, in our, in our own, as we're led of the Lord and stuff, whether it's in our churches or individually, we, we give aid and support. When we hear of needs, we try to meet them, certainly within our bodies, but even uh, our, our body of believers. But even outside, sometimes we have opportunity to send uh, resources to people that are uh, just in need. You know, we may never get anything back from them. We may never actually meet them face to face. But as believers, they're part of our family in Christ. And so we do our best to try and help out where we can. This, is, this was something in the first century church that we've mentioned before was common because believers in that time, in that part of the world especially, very unlike us in the West by and large, uh, because by and large in the West, we have lots of resource and that kind of thing. We generally don't face a lot of persecution like the, compared to what they would have experienced, and so we don't always think in these terms. But in their uh, context, they were living under constant persecution. They were always having to um, deal with hardship because of their faith and that kind of a thing. And so they needed one another in a really, really uh, important and deep way. And so we see an example here of them taking care of each other in that regard. But notice also at the end of the passage where it says that uh, these, these uh, resources were then brought to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Um, already at that point, we're beginning to see leaders in the church. Um, of course, Barnabas was seen as something of a leader, being sent by 
the disciples in Jerusalem down to see what was going on in Antioch. From Antioch, um, Barnabas and Saul go and they, they bring um, resources over to a group of elders, uh, which on a number of, uh, you know, when we see the word elder, by the way, in the New Testament, there's a couple of ideas connected with that. The simplest of which is that it simply speaks of older men. However, in the context of the church, there's generally this idea that uh, along with being older, that that also carries with it sometimes a position of leadership. Servant leadership, as, as older people share with the younger people what it means to, you know, to grow in wisdom and such. But sometimes that word simply just means older people, but other times it means older people, but also with some connection to leadership in the church. Here in this particular case, we get the idea that that's what's going on, as they bring these resources, give them to the elders of the believers there, and they ultimately are then presumably distributed to those in need. So we'll finish chapter 11 right there, and we'll jump into chapter 12 as we continue to make our way through the book of Acts. Um, In the next couple of chapters, we're going to see where we move toward the first council that the church ever holds. And this is the Council of Jerusalem where they begin to uh, discuss and work out what happens now the Gentiles are getting saved. Do they need to ultimately, in some way, come through the law or, or walk in obedience to Moses in some way or for some length of time before they can come to Christ, or not? That's actually an enormous question, and it, it helps us understand the basis of uh, uh, what grace is really all about. Uh, and we'll look at that as we make our way uh, ultimately to Acts chapter 15 and beyond. So thanks for watching. And uh, my hope is that as we're going through the book of Acts that, um, that we're just gleaning some wonderful insights about how the church functioned then in the first century. And uh, as we glean from it, we might, as we've, I guess I keep kind of saying this a lot, but hopefully it's uh, worth hearing again, um, that as we adopt and embrace these ideas that we see going forth in the first century believers, their dependence upon the Holy Spirit, their simplicity of practice and, and, and walking in faith and just being Christians in their culture, even under the face of persecution, that as we glean from those things, we would be equipping ourselves as well uh, to, to live in such a way in our day. Uh, some of you right now watching are living in a place where it's not so easy to be a Christian. And I really appreciate you watching and that we can sort of fellowship together around the word, uh, even though the miles might separate us. Some of us who are maybe not living in that kind of a context right now, we might live in that kind of a context soon. I was thinking about maybe the next time I do a prophecy update, uh, referring to the fact that you know, as, as various books are being banned because they're not politically correct, they're not woke enough and that kind of thing, how long do you think it's going to take before the Bible is outlawed? It's about the most unwoke book there could be. And so who knows? We may end up finding ourselves living in a similar context to our fellow believers around the world now, but even uh, uh, similar to those in the first century. Uh, might be coming sooner than we know it. Things are moving pretty fast right now. So you just don't know where things are going to be in a short while from right now. So be in prayer for each other, for the circumstances we're in, that we'll be courageous and brave and, and, and fortified in our faith to, uh, to, to stand in the face of an evil day. And so let's pray for that right now, as a matter of fact. Father, as we're watching, uh, or I should say reading the, uh, about these believers in the first century, uh, we are humbled at the way that they continue to press on in the face of constant and, and, and often intense persecution. Uh, Father, both from the Romans, but even sometimes from their own countrymen, uh, those who uh, ethnically uh, 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 were among their their own people but did not believe, and so therefore persecuted them. 
Father, help us in, in the same way they did to uh, stand firm and fortified in our faith, uh, not to crumble in the evil day, but rather to stand firm and having done all the stand and continue to, uh, wearing the armor that you've given us, standing uh, by faith on the rock upon which we stand, um, walking in faith and in grace, in joy, uh, with an open desire to share our faith with any that hear. Father, the days are growing darker and darker, so we just pray that our light would shine brighter and brighter. So lead us by your Holy Spirit. Help the name of Jesus and the testimony of the salvation that we have through his finished work to be right there on the tip of our tongues, ready to be spoken and shared. And Father, we pray that it's all for your glory, because one day, some, someday soon, we're going to see you face to face. We're going to enter into eternity, and all these things about today are going to fade away. Father, we just thank you that uh, you've counted each of us worthy to carry your name to the ends of the earth. So help us, strengthen us, equip us, and guide us by your Holy Spirit, for your glory, and in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for watching, and uh, uh, I always like to invite you to share your comments and thoughts on our comments section on our YouTube channel, uh, or you can go to my website at parsonspad.com, where we also post these videos as well. And uh, you can email me from there or from our church's website as well at calvarychapelfranklin.com. By the way, um, uh, I'll, make, I'll try to mention this somewhat periodically for anybody who'd like to join in, but we're starting to live stream our Wednesday nights uh, on uh, our YouTube channel here. And so uh, uh, if you subscribe to our YouTube channel and you decide to get the alerts for when we post a new uh, podcast or video, um, you'll be alerted when it goes live and you'll be able to watch uh, our Wednesday night midweek study starts at 7 o'clock Central Time here in the United States. And I say that because it's been really fun to watch a few of you from outside of our country watching and saying hello and asking questions. And some of you have commented how it's just nice to sort of be part of a fellowship here, even from afar. Well, it's really nice for us to have you as well. It's wonderful that you can join in. And uh, again, it just sort of makes the, the world a little bit smaller for a little while where we can just enjoy being brothers and sisters in Christ together as we gather around the Word and worship for a little bit. Uh, we're also trying to make it a point of, of, of making sure someone is watching the comments that come up uh, so that we can maybe respond to those if there's questions and that kind of a thing. Again, it's a, to the best of our ability, it's just a way for us to connect together and, and, uh, and kind of be part, uh, family together, even though, again, there's some distance between us. So thanks for watching on those nights as well. We invite the rest of you, whoever would like to, to join us on Wednesday nights as well. We're going through, thec uh, through Second Thessalonians right now uh, on our Wednesday nights. So, but praise the Lord. Thanks for watching, and uh, we'll catch up with you next time. And may the Lord bless and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, and give you peace forever. Amen.